Let's do it. What were you doing right before the show started? I'm like, dude, you're on your phone again. It's always the same thing. <laughs> I'm always looking at books, looking at prices, checking the market, because it's always changing. Changes really quick. Yep. Which market? The Golden Age market for me. Yo, comic fam. It is good to see you. Bags and boards number 38. We are back at the table to chat expensive paper, stories, our feelings, our emotions. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's discuss our, our future meal plans. That's right, man. It's going to be a fun time. But no, for real, comic fam, we have stuff to show you. We have stuff to complain about. I almost got screwed this week. Not in a good way. <laughs> but we also have some community comments that we're going to go through. The heart of the show is going to be discussing something very real, something that we individually all experience no matter what, whether you have Key Collector Comics, the best comic app in the world, use code TOM101 for a free two-week subscription. You're a new collector, legacy collector, someone who's been doing it for a long time. We're chatting about FOMO, and FOMO is very real. And if you're not familiar what it stands for, it's the fear of missing out, okay? And it doesn't have to be just with comics. But for us, we're going to discuss it in the comic environment. Yo, we have to chat about a new pedigree that was just released. We knew it was coming. We heard inklings throughout the dealer circle. But amazing comics exist, and they are in the hands of CGC and about to hit Heritage. I'm very hyped about that, too. Yeah, it's called The Promise Pedigree. It's uh, It was just released, actually, a uh, full story just the other day. They're, they're being very tight-lipped about it, but we're going to get into some serious details on it and uh, tell you the, the origin story behind it. Well, first thing I want to do is remind the community that if you do not have the ability to watch us for as long as we go, we went like an hour and a half last session, mm-hmm. um, and that's pretty much how this is going to go. We're going to not really put any time restraints what happens happens on the mic. You know, we're chatting comic books. When you're chatting expensive paper, things get out of hand sometimes and you're going to be here with us, comic fam. But I want to remind you, we are available on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and iTunes. And the audio versions get posted upwards of like five to six days after the YouTube video. So it'll still be relevant, but we definitely want to reserve the YouTube platform first. So you're going to see audio clips posted a little later. There's a handful of members asking, where's the audio version? It's coming within the next week after we go live on those platforms. There was a comment, though, from our last sit down that I absolutely had to read you. And we like to source a lot of show ideas and topics from the comment section below. Next week, we're going to be getting together to chat about buyer's regret. So any comments down in the comment section, warning, we may bring it on the mic and talk about it. However, we would love your participation. This was from Poppy, not my dad. The commenter's name was Poppy in the community. And he just posted a comment I wanted to bring your atten- bring to yours and the community's attention. Um, he says, I was digging in a basement once, and when I came back up, there was blood all over my hands from mylar cuts. How real is that, dude? Yeah, we've kind of touched on this. This guy knows my history, I think. I think that's why he commented, because in my my experience, and I've expressed this, that when you go to a convention and you check out the tops of 
any dealers who have like mylars on all their books. And what are mylars for any oh, of our newer listeners or novice oh, collectors? Yeah, yeah. Mylars are like a top loader for a comic book. So which means it's a uh, four millimeter thick plastic. It's open on the top. You just put your comic through it. It's like a hard armor for your comic rather than a traditional resealable bag or something. And not like extra thick, but just thick enough and still very flimsy. Double the thickness of our mail call books. Like it's a very thin, but still thick plastic. Yeah, because you guys use a two mil, right? Correct. So this is a four mil. So um, they look make your books look beautiful. They really do. But if, Protects them very well. Yeah, if you keep your books in there long enough and you travel enough shows, you'll start seeing that some inventory that sits for a while gets picked through because the, the flaps are so hard and rigid when you're going through them that they start to cut people's cuticles, okay? And you'll see, someone had told me this. I never paid attention. It's but once the, you know... Once you know, you wish you didn't know. <laughs> yeah, and we're apologizing in advance, comic fan, but this is a thing. You got to know this. Yeah, you'll see like, you'll see dried blood on these things. A lot of it. And it, it is rough. Like if you do enough books, the flaps do hit you. And eventually- Your cuticles, man. Yeah, your cuticles can get tore up pretty good, man. So this member wasn't, it doesn't sound like they've experienced this in the past. You kind of go into it knowing that something like this is going to happen. Like when I'm hitting the con floor, when I'm checking out collections, especially in the past when I did it way more often- Man, you're just not as fast wearing gloves. And it's also hard to grade comics with gloves on. I find myself taking them off, putting them back on, and then just taking them off altogether. And then it's just a part of the job, man. It's part of the hunt. You don't know how banged up you're going to get. And dude, there are some straight up comic book injuries that I've had. I mean, not very severe, but man, getting cut, having uh, things get dropped on my foot, bumping into stuff. I mean, we're lugging around heavy boxes. I found the comet. Really funny that he brought it up because, man, we chat about this occurrence happening because it happens a lot. And now the community members are going to know when they're digging and they see, well, it could be like dried dirt or something is what it kind of presents like because it's been oxidized, you know, for a long time. That dried blood, man, it's a tint on those plastic, on that plastic. And it's memorable and it is disgusting. Yeah, pretty much everything you said is actually accurate on the <laughs> disgusting. You know, the comp floor can be a tough place because hey, there's a lot of bodies Get run over by carts, um, stepped on, bumped. Before the con, I've been in situations where people are really excited to get to a booth. And then this is when, before cons, just so you guys know, dealers are shopping on dealers, period. Oh, right. For hours before it even opens yeah, up. Yeah. So some dealers have specific times when they open because they know it becomes a frenzy with other dealers. So th before the con opens, they'll be like, hey, let's say the con opens at 10. Uh, I'll be open in my booth at eight. Yeah. Whenever I go to a convention with Jeff, it's like, oh, when does the con start? 10 o'clock. Awesome. What time are we getting up? Six or seven. Yeah. So like there'll be a line probably by 730. People right. waiting. All right. Trying to get in. Some people, some dealers are really good about like, nope, nobody gets to get in. And then others, they kind of work their way in. It's a competitive as heck, man. I'm just telling you. When I'm walking through the show floor, there are times where I'll see the same dealers Sometimes they'll be like, oh, you want to look through? Have at it. And then we'll go to another convention and you'll be like, yeah, you guys got anything? And they're like, no, don't look at my stuff. Shoo. <laughs> it's yeah, like, I mean, you, build you never a, know. Yeah, you don't ever know. Some A lot of people already have long-term relationships. So a right. lot of people get in earlier than others. So that's just part of it. But when there's somebody who holds the line strong and then it's like, okay, it's go time. Dude, you see the character come out of people that you do not know to come out like I'm not I'm gonna continue bumping shoving swearing pushing people being pissed 
It's like, dude. It's ruthless, man. You got to have thick skin. Yes, it does. It gets so bad. So it I love it, rough, dude. It could be a rough place, man. Outside of cuticle damage, you can get, you know, I don't know, mental distress. and <laughs> A freaking wall will fall on you. Comic fam, we love the convention stories. I don't know if you can tell we really miss them. I miss them so much because sometimes I really want to buy a nice book. And you can get books, you know? You can get books if you're patient. You're, you know, looking on eBay. You're hitting Craigslist. You're reaching out to your network, checking LCSs regularly frequenting half-price books, wherever you can go. And the problem when you're buying offline is you never know really what you're going to get. There's always that risk, you know, whether it be USPS or this person selling them, you know, you can tell somebody all day long that you want something shipped in a box. Doesn't always mean that it's going to be shipped in a box. And I want to chat about a recent purchase I made. I'm not going to talk about where I got it, but I will say I bought it offline. And I don't want to point to any sellers because this is a situation where I don't know 100% that this was done on purpose. This could have been done out of ignorance. I'm going to give the person the benefit of the doubt, but I did almost get screwed over this week. I bought a book and for the first time, really, I had this experience where I had to return it because I felt like it was fraudulently dealt And what I mean by that is not that I suspected it was stolen or something like that. No, I got this book and I'm going to show it to you. Actually, take a look at this book right in front of you. This 9.8. We're dealing with a Wolverine, you know, first is patch in his own solo series right after the Miller four issue run of Wolverine. Can you describe what you're looking at to our audio listeners and make sure to touch on the back pinup that is so underrated? So this is a classic Wolverine number one cover. It's 1988. Um, this is Wolverine, or as Patch at the time, standing on a group of bodies with his claws out. I mean, it's, it's as iconic as it gets for anybody in that time frame. And of course, of course, you got an amazing black cover with the integration of the negative space into Wolverine. I mean, it's, it's an awesome book, man. Like if anyone from the 80s um, was reading comics, you know this book. Absolutely. And let's actually chat about what this book used to go for on the con floor, let's say a decade ago. Graded or raw? Raw. All right. So if you had a raw 9 of this book a decade ago. Sure. 20 bucks. 20, 30 bucks, right? Yeah. And then the Miller issue would be like 40 to 50. People trying to, you know, push that value up because it did come out a little earlier. Well, right now you're holding a book that I paid a thousand dollars for. Okay. And the reason why it's a thousand is because it is graded at 9.8 and these books have moved up quite a bit in the last few months. We've been chatting about this book as well as the limited series being something to spec on because Wolverine keys are blowing up. And this book is not just moving quick, selling for above $600, I believe, in a 9.8, maybe closer to like, actually, no, I think 600 is probably right around where it's selling, uh, maybe even more now. But this is a newsstand copy. You know, that barcode matters. And I'm very interested in spec from that particular era to have the new stamp barcode because it was under 5% of the print run. At least that's what we know to be true right now. And this particular book was one that was so scarce. I've been waiting months and months for one to come up. I've seen CBCS graded copies. I've been waiting for a CGC graded copy. been waiting for one that looked really well with that barcode. And I waited, man. I bought it out of country and waited in the mail. The sellers seem legit, had great ratings. The pictures look fine. You know, they weren't the best pictures, but there certainly wasn't pictures of the sides of the comic. And there are 
so many red flags about this book. And unfortunately, I don't know if the problem that it presents at first glance is indeed what happened. You know, it's kind of riding a fine line of red flags and could this actually be just someone storing books improperly? But regardless, can you describe how this looks right now? And then I will tell you how it was mailed to me. I mean, just looking on straight on, you know, it looks fine. But if you check the perimeter of the book, the edges, it just seems they were taped. So all the edges were taped, at least the bottom edge here is taped. When this was mailed to me initially, I opened this up and it was in two different bags. So there was layers upon layers and it looked gorgeous in the two bags. Pulled it out and the entire perimeter minus where the sticker with the label information on the very top, the entire perimeter of that slab had scotch tape all around it. So what you're seeing on the bottom is what I left. Can you describe the scotch tape job that was done on the bottom? Because that's how the whole book looked. It's a pretty good job. I'll be honest. It's it's meant to look very seamless and clean. So it isn't like you scotch tape this with eight to 12 pieces overlapping each other. It's just a very nice strip. It's very dull in, in color because the tape is dull in a, a, a comparison to the plastic. So it just looks like someone trimmed to make it look like a film almost on the edge in a kind of malicious, sneaky kind of way, maybe? Sneaky is a good way to put it. You know, first off, can you think of any reason to put no. tape around? Yeah, not at all. I mean, even these older cases, yeah, they could be bent a little bit. You can move them, crack them open just a tad. You know, they're older. They've improved over time over at CGC. But I can't think of one reason to put tape around the entire perimeter of the book, let alone the danger that it would be that if this was somehow removed and replaced with another Wolverine newsstand issue number one that was in high grade, that this multiplier of the barcode would be in line of the kind of money you're trying to make off a small fraud attempt. Yeah, so you're saying someone pulled a switcheroo here. They kept the 9-8 label because it doesn't say newsstand on here. It just says 9-8. So if you switched out the newsstand with a regular direct edition, I mean, yeah, you could be coming up on it pretty good. Or any real copy in here that's not a 9-8. Right. You Maybe a 9-6. Yeah. You never know. 9-6, 9-0, 9-2. People, most people just read the label. Not everyone gets in there and takes a look at the book. So, I mean, there's always that chance. This is a nice looking book. It's really nice, man. It was a tough decision to make. But the thing is that although CGC does do reholders, the sides of this slab, you can move them far enough to see that it's not completely sealed in the top right or left. Like one of the corners is just enough cracked that I would suspect CGC would demand a regrade of that book. And that's way too much of a risk, regardless of how nice that book is. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to always, you don't want to take that chance because I don't know, there's inconsistencies right now and it's difficult to always guarantee a 9 8. Right. Even though this looks gorgeous, it's just why? I'm putting money out, you know, rather than money put into something that's a for sure thing. But I get it. Like these were already kind of, you could always kind of put a little gap in them. Mm -hmm. You could pull them apart some and, you know, and you can kind of get in there, get wedge stuff in there. Um, but this is just, once you start cracking the uh, clips, yeah, those and clips. Through there There's and clips in the, each corner of the book. And those clips, what they'll do, I believe, is they'll, 
like shatter a little bit. These clips are like a clear little pin that actually seals the slab together, holds it together. And they put it in there, I believe, during the like pressurized moment in the clamp with, with whatever machine that they use. They're tamper-proof. So when they're tampered with, that indicates to CGC that, oh no, this is now destroyed the grading credibility. So although I am not 100% certain that this was intentional, I'm giving the person the benefit of the doubt. Fortunately, I do have um, a route to go to make sure that I'm protected. But this is a great learning experience, not just for myself, but for other members. You need to look at your slab. If I took this out of the box, the way that it was presented and said, oh, I got a 9.8 newsstand. I'm happy with it. Let me put it with all my others and not pulled it out of the multiple bags. I literally didn't notice the tape at first. I was looking at the book. I was looking at the grade. I was looking at the case quality. It wasn't until I started feeling around the edges looking for cracks because I'm like, oh, I don't want a crack case just in case, let alone tape around the entire perimeter of the slab. So look for those red flags, comic fam. And also... I had a very interesting moment when I was chatting with the guru about this last night. And he says, oh yeah, I got a story too. It's funny. It's also <laughs> about the same character. And I'm like, oh dude, do you have a, a story about the switcheroo? Somebody doing something wrong? And he goes, yeah, man, it's, it's pretty cool. I'm like, okay. Well, I'm thinking, you know, like he has like a random graded book that he had this done to, you know, what could be better than a Wolverine one newsstand 9.8. I just dropped a grand on and this mofo says, Oh, dude, I have a Hulk 181 that I bought that was graded at 9.8. What the hell, dude? I've never heard this story. What went down? So, yeah, it was 2011. So it's 10 years ago, about a decade ago. And uh, I remember, again, dealing on eBay. At the time, that was just a pretty prevalent place to go for comic books. And um, there was a Hulk 9.8. I was like, oh, this is awesome. I want this book. It had a strong sale. I made an offer on it or bought, or it popped up on eBay and I bought it now. I can't even 100% remember, you know, what happened. What's your gut guess of what that was back then? Like what you, what the offer would have been? Cause like the yeah, numbers yeah, are you. so different. No, yeah, I remember. So the numbers are way different because um, that book went up and down quite a bit. Um, the, the previous year and the upcoming years, it went down to 181 first Hulk full appearance of Wolverine. Yeah. It wasn't until like 2016, 17, you started to see that book explode again and start taking up consistently every year. It, it actually dropped price, but I was thinking it was probably around a $15,000 book would have been retail. And I was getting it um, for, I think, about 10. And so I was excited. I was like, great. I got some value out of this book. It's an awesome book. Excited for it. And I make my payment. I put it on my credit on a credit card. Okay. I wanted to protect myself twice. Once with PayPal, credit card, just get it covered. Okay. Because you just never know. You know, when you deal on eBay a lot, and at that time I was dealing a lot and I was trying to reach people off of eBay, just doing anything I can to score books and collections. So you got to always protect yourself. And I get the book in and I'm looking at it. And I'm like, something's not right about this book, man. It doesn't look 9 8. It seems like the corners have been glued. I was like, are they on the slab? On the slab. Of course, the corners are glued. I was like, it doesn't look right. So I, I had to file a claim on it because I was like, this is not right. It doesn't feel good. This doesn't look like a 9-8. These corners are glued. Something's not right here. Okay. Because it's not, it should never be like that. There shouldn't be any type of uh, funny business, you know, or any types of shenanigans to your, to your holders. It just shouldn't be. And so then I go through the whole process. And at the time, you were supposed to get a third-party letter from another company 
to confirm your suspicions. Okay, so I sent mine to Metropolis. I was like, I'm going to take it to one of the biggest comic auction houses. All right, I contacted them. I knew a guy there, and I sent it over to him, and he took a look at it, and he looked at it, and he's just like, this is 998. I called, and I looked up the number um, with CGC. At the time, you had to call CGC, and they will give you notes. They used to give you notes for free, by the way, guys. Another thing they're not doing now. And so um, you called them. You got the notes for free. So they got the notes, and he said it was a 9 Oh. All right. And he took a closer look at it and somebody put a sticker of a nine eight on the label. Whoa. Yeah. The sticker had a just a layer of tape over it? No, they just literally cut out a square and like put it in just super clean looking. Okay. Whoa. But when you look at it, you're like, oh, that is not that's a sticker on top of it. Okay, so crazy. I was like, oh, my God. He sends me this letter, and then uh, this whole letter explaining what's what's going on, what it is. He sends the book back to me. I the letters passed on to PayPal. This whole process is like a forty-five or day ordeal. Like they have my money, they're holding my money. They're trying to get a hold of the other person who's not responding. Okay, I have to send the book back. All right, I don't have my money. I'm sending this book away, and then because I involved my credit card, apparently the process takes even longer now. Like whatever dumb rule they had, they were they weren't handling it. They were taking a long time. I was like, okay, so maybe I'll just involve my credit card too. The second I did that, that added even more time to the process. I was like, oh, I cannot win here, man. So with that said, time goes by. I sent the book, and it goes to the address, and no one was there to sign for it. Okay, the book then eventually comes back to me. All right, gets back to return to center. I'm like, okay, what do I do with this? Like, it's been 45 days. I sent the book. No one's resigned for it. No one's received it. The address is in there. They're like, okay, we'll just keep the book. I was like, okay, so I can just keep this, right? You're like, yeah, it's now yours. I was like, all right, so this is that book. Oh, my gosh, you have it? So, yeah, that's I still the, have this that's book. That's the same book. <laughs> <laughs> and we, I have a picture of the uh, slab book, by the way. Wow. I still have it from two, 10 years ago. So beautiful copy. Look, look at it and compare them and you'll see the sticker. Oh yeah. Beautiful copy. Clear as day, not a 9.8. And we'll show pictures to the comic fam, but I'll describe it to the audio fam. We have right on this cover, aside from the greatest Canadian superhero battling the Hulk with the Wendigo, just looking triumphant in the background. Because he's getting help, you know. We have multiple, you know, at least five different collar-breaking creases on the spine, as well as just a near-perfect cover. I mean, I I don't see much because of this mylar, but you know what? In the light, I can see dents. I can see some. That's on the comic. I'm assuming it looks like there's dents right on the cover here, um, and then the back, super clean. You know, it was done with intention. You know, they were looking for a near flawless copy that they can just get past maybe a novice collector, someone who hadn't owned a book in this grade or maybe spent that kind of money before, but you got to watch out. That's crazy that you got it. So you got your money back and you got to keep the book. Fascinating. It was a stressful 45 plus days because I wasn't sure what's going to happen. It's out there in the mail. I was like, I don't know what's going to, once it leaves my hands again, I was like, then I got nothing. And, um, I was, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my God, well, I, you know, I'm get, I guess it's worth it now. But, you know, when you look at this, it does have the thumbprints like you mentioned on here. And they said it was a 9-0. 
this could still be a you know a nine zero, maybe a nine two with a press. It needs a press, man. There's definitely some flaws on there that could be pressed out. For sure, you know I say in this current market, it's a minimum nine zero, minimum. So easy nine zero. What's a a nine zero go for right now in today's market? I think a nine zero goes for fifteen. There you go. Nine two goes for like eighteen, give or take, somewhere around there, give or take. Crazy how much the market has changed in a short decade. Comic fam. It looks like both, I mean, I'm at least going to save my money here, but you came out on top because yours was a clear case of some shenanigans happening. And we don't want that to happen with comics. We want you to protect yourselves, especially when you're dealing with expensive paper. It gets pretty pricey. Now, I want to chat about some comics we brought because that's what we do here on the Bags and Boards podcast. We deal with so many comics that sometimes I'll even miss the comics that Jeff is hyped about. Because by the time that we see each other next, even if it's a short week, oh, the book's already in the hands of two other people because it was bought, sold, bought, and sold. But hey, you should have been here when I got it in the mail. So now I'm just open invitation, bring whatever you have. I want to have my mind blown. And I'm going to try to do the same to the community. We're just going to bring some stuff we recently got. What kind of item did you bring today? Is this like a spec book, a PC book? What's going on? Yeah, I'm going to keep this in the PC for now. Okay. It's kind of a, a spec book. Mine's also what. PC as well. It's it, last time you were here, we talked about spec books, so it's it's kind of fun. Yeah, so I've always loved this book. All right, it's a Fantastic Four number twelve, classic Kirby cover, um, Hulk first thing meet for the very first time. Amazing, just awesome classic book. Shout out to A One Comics who I got it from. Thanks for the hookup. They did it, um, give me a decent price on it, so I, I really appreciate that. But I bought this too because. We know how fast this market's moving. And I'm watching all these big keys and FF books. I'm just seeing this one just kind of sit a little stagnant. On this book that no one was specking on. Exactly, Russ. Thank you. <laughs> but when I, when I look at this book, I, I just see nothing but growth. And for me, instead of it being a classic cover, I don't understand, like, it's easy to follow a little bit of a crowd of people investing in books. You're like, oh, okay, that's the hot book. I'll get into a hot book. You, you kind of also want to look at the ones that are not at the time. And this is for me one that isn't, but at a six, five, it's a very solid copy. It's got beautiful colors. Sometimes you see with those gray covers, you see smudging like Spidey six can be very notorious for those grays all smudging, but that book doesn't have any of it. It's got great eye appeal. It's a six, five classic book. Love it. Love it. Love it. There's a 6.5 off-white pages, Fantastic Four number 12 from 1963. And we have just the classic trade dress on there, the world's greatest comic magazine. And this is, at last, the Fantastic Four meeting the Hulk. It says it right on the cover. He says, another second and I'll destroy them all. That's what the Hulk says. And then you have Johnny Flame saying, the Hulk is nearby, I can feel it. This right here is a book-length epic. Need we say more? This is the first time... The Hulk meets the first Marvel family. It's classic, man. Like how many times have are every time you see a Hulk versus Thing cover, it's considered to be a classic battle. True. All right. Silver Surfer versus Thor. Hulk versus Thor. For me, again, early Silver Age. First really Marvel title that just exploded and saved Marvel's butt. FF. This is really freaking cool. Do you mind sharing what you paid for it in this market? Yeah, I paid twenty seven hundred. Nice. This is a good, good deal. I would assume three grand minimum. Yeah, I think it was a great price. Super excited for it. I think it's probably, you know, 3200 
this book should be more. That's just it. Like, can you imagine when they have FF come out? Because I think it's supposed to come out in 2025, I believe, that Hulk and FF meet. Can you just imagine, especially if it's on bad terms some for some reason? Like, I don't know. That would just be epic. A Hulk versus Thing battle. Can't wait. It's going to be amazing. We also have some books that I have been after for, dude, quite a long time. eBay tip for the comic fam. You need to be utilizing your saved search function. A lot of people don't do this. This is like as important as utilizing GPA, you know, utilizing key collector comics. You need to save your searches. You need to be notified if one of your searches comes up in the marketplace. Some of these comics, they show up really quick and they'll be gone within 10 minutes because there's other people utilizing the save search function. There's a little heart right at the top of the eBay search link after you type in what you're looking for. And this, these two listings have been on my eBay save search for de a decade, for sure. Probably over a decade at this point. I mean, I've been looking for these two items longer than I've been collecting Hellboy, really, because I got into collecting Hellboy after I secured some books and decided I wanted to expand it. And then I sold all my Hellboy collectibles, even some of my Mignola original art. I didn't have anything too crazy, but like I had sketches and stuff like that to fund the show. You know, I invested my Mignola art and stuff into the microphones and the cameras and things like that. I'm not collecting Hellboy anymore because of it. I've collected so much and I wasn't, I was only like unable to get a couple issues. And maybe if one of those ever pop up and I have an opportunity, maybe I'll grab that. But I don't ever see myself re-hunting these books that I sought out for so long. But these came up and I was in disbelief that they came up that I had to buy them. It just, it felt wrong not to buy them. They were each a couple hundred bucks. And I was fortunate because I think I would be competing with numerous Hellboy collectors for these particular collectibles had they not been in one listing with multiple issues in the same listing. What I'm holding here is a comics buyer's guide, issue number 1069 and 1070. Can you describe what you're looking at here? They're pretty big. Yeah, they are big. Here you go. And they're, they're pretty trashed. I mean, these are things that don't come on the market very often. And these things weren't meant to keep, you know? No. It's like a newspaper. Yeah, exactly. It's the newsprint type feel to it. Uh, How large is that? This is like, you know. It's like Life Magazine size at there least. You go. If you know what those those guys are. But yeah. they're, they're big. Yeah, bigger than 12 I'd inches say. on the, you know, on yeah. the length for sure. Yeah, exactly. It, it's huge. All right. So I see this is like 1994. It says May 13th. That's right. Got Mike Mignola's Hellboy on here. And like, I don't know, um, Four Horsemen maybe behind him. That's right. We have the uh, Seed of Destruction. Um, this is a, actually, yeah, that's a Seed of Destruction um, advertisement. And this would have been coming out right around the time that Hellboy would pick up his own solo series. And yes, it comes out in 1994. But what's cool about that, if you can find the Mignola section, it's only a couple of pages. This particular um, newsprint was a solicitation magazine where you can order things from a lot of independent stuff is in here and they featured Hellboy. And in 1994, there's only a handful of Hellboy appearances prior to this. This was right at the heart of Hellboy becoming a, his own character really. And what's fun about the Mignola section, aside from seeing a really young picture of Mignola, which you'll f probably get a kick out of, 
We also have pages of San Diego Comic-Con issue number two. And when you see it, you'll, you'll know for sure. Um, San Diego Comic-Con issue number two debuted in August 1993. So we're talking about less than a year later in 1994, we have a essentially a reprint of his first appearance from a convention comic book. There you go, right there. Oh, this is it, huh? Yeah, so you have Seat of Destruction there, Mike Mignola interview, and look at that top right picture of Mike Mignola. Wow, that's a nice scarf. He's got a, he's rocking that scarf, man. He is. He is. And, of course, at the very bottom, you have the pages that were provided during San Diego Comic-Con in 1993. This is so, pretty cool, man. It's a cool advertisement. It's the first appearance of Hellboy, I believe, in reprint done for the first time. I mean, a lot of those weren't wasn't reprinted. I could be wrong about that. I need to go through now all my other ones to check dates, but this was a bonus. I wasn't really hunting this issue. I actually bought this issue by mistake. I didn't know Hellboy was on the cover of issue 1069. I was actually hunting for another issue and it turned out I should have just checked my key collector app because it said it right on key collector that it was 1070 that you actually need to look for because that is the next one. And fortunately the person had this one as well. So I was able to score both of these. They weren't in the title. They were, I mean, they were in the title, but it wasn't like a picture in the listing. So a lot of people wouldn't know to look for this, but you'll see exactly what I'm looking for here. There is a comic size insert, one page, more than one page, two page. Oh, I mean, it's one page that's folded in, in, you know, folded front and back. So it's technically four pages of art that's stapled in the inside of this magazine, this newspaper magazine, if you would. And this right here is an insert in comics buyer's guide 1070 and key collector um, records this as the following a four page black and white story inserted inside the comics buyer's guide written and illustrated by Mike Mignola reprinted in Hellboy's seat of destruction in 1995's collector's addiction in 2018's omnibus. This wasn't reprinted until 2018 in a physical form. If you wanted this short story, if you wanted to see some of the earliest Mignola Hellboy work, you would have had to purchase this giant newspaper style collectible and go for that insert that was largely removed. And I'll tell you, as a Hellboy collector, these would sell between $200 and $400 insert alone, not with the you know, giant paper that surrounds it protecting it. And the reason why I know this is because I not only have been collecting this insert for over six years now, I actually have a variant of the insert. So take a look at this so you can actually see that you'll see the staple mark on the, on the side of the comic, right? Yeah, a single yeah. staple mark. So the rumor is, is that in production, they, that's what they did. They, they stapled it on in the inside of this giant newspaper. However, there was in excess of 20 to 30 copies of this, this uh, two-page spread, all right? And those copies were not inserted. Thus, they did not get the staple inside. And that's the indicator that you have one of these very rare extras that were printed. And this is my copy. Wait, so, okay. 
Hold on. So this was supposed to be stapled in, but it never got stapled in. So was it just placed in and the staple strike missed? No, it was the rumor is that there were under 30 of them created in access. And this is one of those 30. Oh, so they just got out into the market at some point. Exactly. You know, there was wow. a stack that made it out. So that is what I ended up hunting for for a very long time. And I was able to find one of those prior to finding the actual comics buyer's guide newspaper, you know, life-size magazine style that this is intact, let alone just the magazine. So it's, I don't know. Am I getting back into Hellboy collecting? Probably not. But this was one of those situations where I've waited so damn long to see that update on my eBay search, save search portion of the app that I didn't buy it at first. And then I started feeling this four letter abbreviation FOMO, F-O-M-O. I went to bed thinking about it. I went to the claim sale that we went, that we hosted on your Instagram, follow Golden Age Guru on IG. We do monthly claim sales. I felt it throughout that live session that we did. I checked my phone to make sure it was still there. And I'm like, no, I don't want it. And then I went home and I bought it. I had to have it. I had a legit fear of not seeing this for another decade. And I didn't want to just not own this collectible. So now I got to find some bag and board that'll fit this damn thing. But it's pretty dope nonetheless. Yeah, super spectacular. And I'll tell you why it's appealing to me. Outside of, you know, I do like Mignola and the black and white and the... and The, the king of heavy, negative space, man. Yeah, the heavy shading. This is very much like a Golden Age cover. This is like a science comics early issue. You have... Doesn't it feel like it? It does. You got this hypodermic needle cover. You have a bondage scene. You have the hero crashing in. You have the German swastika soldier robot head or whatever's going in the corner. I mean, this ape with a mechanical arm, you know, it's just, uh, it screams that era, um, but still updated in manual style. So it's, it's super appealing. It's even got a little skull cover down here. I mean, it's got everything that I love <laughs> for that type of, for an updated book, you know? Absolutely. Comic fam, what do you think about Mignola's art? You know, he's one of my all-time favorite creators in comics, but artists in general. And while we're on this FOMO train that I've just embarked us on, why don't we discuss it? We all have FOMO. FOMO's real. Can you remind the community a little bit about what FOMO is? Yep. FOMO. Fear of missing out. And I have FOMO every single con because I'm one of the first people on the show floor. That show floor opens at like maybe 7 in the morning. I'm there like 6.30, ready to get in, hope to make a relationship with somebody, squeeze in, get a book first. Dude, you like transform into an entirely different person during this time of day that happens a few times a year when we go to conventions together. You're like, we got to go. Yeah. We got to go now. I'm literally and you're I'm, stressing, dude. I am. I'm like, dude, get up, man. I got I'm like, okay, I called Uber. You're either up or you're not. <laughs> I'm out. This this guy just, will literally like while we were in New York, we were in the taxi, and the entire taxi ride, you're going, I think we can walk there faster. <laughs> Should we just get out of the car? No, no, we'll stay in the car. I literally go on the prowl, dude. When I gotta show Hit the floor, next light. It's crazy. Do you think we can get there faster if we just walk? I don't know. We'll just stay in the car. <laughs> I don't know, man. Maybe we should just get out of the car. Do you want to get out of the car? Jeff, let's get out of the car. We're getting out of the car. <laughs> and we're just hauling ass there. Do you remember when we, we got out of that taxi, got to the convention, and saw the taxi? And we beat them by like two minutes. And those two minutes. And those two minutes. That's, you never know. 
could have been something. And that's <laughs> that's what it, it's so funny. It's dude. true. And I'll give you an example of FOMO because it, it it actually for a collector, it echoes past just that you're like a collectible of comics. I like we mentioned the claim sale a few times, but I literally had the claim sale uh, on a Friday morning. It was going to be um, and I had to run some errands really quick first. And I go to Target on a Friday. Apparently on Friday, there's lines of people waiting in Target. I was like, why is there lines? Am I not allowed in? Is there something happening? Does someone fall? People there... just shopping at Target. Yeah. And like, I was like, okay. And I had to ask. They're like, oh, no, go by, go by. I was like, okay. I was like, well, what's this line for? I asked one of the employees. He's like, oh, every Friday, um, there's a release of sports cards and comic cards. Oh, my and gosh. All these things that come out. And so those group of collectors pile in every Friday on Target and are allowed a limit of like one item, okay, from this like special batch that comes out on Fridays. It's like, what is this world that I have no clue about? It's like pretty soon you're going to go to Safeway or like QFC or Trader Joe's or something, and they're going to have a random collectible that's exclusive to Trader Joe's, and you're going to have to wait outside in line. We operate in the same city that Funko's main quarters is. It's a funny story. I used to work in banking. I actually worked at the branch where the uh, CEO, whoever handled the financing for Funko, first opened their account. And that branch that I was at, I had to like, I was, I was managing it. So I would like organize the private banking and the business banking and the mortgage and the, you know, all that kind of stuff, licensed individuals and even the teller line and like counting the vault and things like that. And I set them up with a private banker and we got some of the first batches of pop toys to ever be created before pops were a thing. It was, it was like a random toy that I'd never seen. And I, was in a branch and we had them decorated everywhere. Funko actually, like we had a, back when they would put up a tree for the holidays, because it was right around Christmas time. We had this big old tree and Funko brought wrapped pop toys for under the tree. So any like kids who walked into the bank, yeah, I go grab a, uh, a Christmas gift, you know, Santa came early and we had like Captain America pop toys everywhere. But anyways, Funko's nearby, like really close. And every week, there is a, in, in a city where there's like nothing really going on that causes any type of busy thing. Like there's no concerts happening. There's no, you know, bars that are really popping right now. Cause you know, everyone's being safe out here. However, Funko will have a giant line every week randomly. And you always know, oh, something's going on. They got something for sale. Something that's going to pop in the market. Yeah. They're really good about hitting that, uh, stride for, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Um, like the fandom? Yeah, like just fandom, pop culture. Sure. Just things current in pop culture, man. They'll put out something. It's got to be relevant. Yes. People are like, I want that. Yeah, they're really good at doing that. And it's always an, a kind of a cool product when they put it out. But so I'm, I'm just in Target, all right? I'm walking around. And I was like, all right, I got I got to get my stuff done, man. I'm literally like way behind. And like I have like 100 people waiting to go live or plus with us to, to buy books. So I was like, I really got to hurry. And as I'm going my shopping, getting my stuff done, picking up my things, it's just eating at me. What am I missing out on? <laughs> it's eating at me. And I was like, all right, well, maybe I can squeeze a few more minutes. So I go back to the front of the store instead of the back of the store. I was like, hey, can you put my name down in the queue? Oh, my There's gosh. Like just to queue. get whatever they're getting. Yeah. <laughs> all right. And I was like, oh, she's like, it's going to be like 15, 20 minutes. I was like, all right, just put my name down, whatever. And I still don't know what I'm getting. I still don't know what I'm getting. I'm just like, I'm going to miss out on something. Okay. And that's part of the collectible hobby. You're just like, dude, what if I miss out on something? This seems to be important. Ah, 
I go buy my stuff and I'm in line waiting to pay. And I'm just on my phone. I'm just wondering, like, and I'm there. And you know, when you're doing something on your phone, you realize, actually, I've been here a long time. What, what's, what's going on? I look up and this guy is swiping one pack of Pokemon cards and buying it. Another pack of Pokemon cards. Apparently they have a policy, okay, that when you buy a packs that come in, you can buy only one at a time. So I'm sitting behind a guy who's buying like 15 packs. Oh, he's paying per he transaction? Pay per transaction. Oh my gosh. And the teller's there. And I'm like, is this really how the process is? Because this is a massive waste of time, first of all. I mean, I get it kind of. But like if you're going to let him do that, then just do it and let let's move this line along. But I was like, you know, I have time anyway. So I'm like, okay. And at this time, I'm picking the guy's brain what's going on. And he's telling me, he's like, oh, yeah, dude, these are like $4 and like 50 cents. Normally, they're like 10 plus dollars each. Okay, and I was like, oh, my son likes Pokemon cards. I was like, hmm. So I run and grab 15 packs. Oh. <laughs> did you have to do it too? Did you have to go one by one? Yes, I did. Oh, no. And I was like, I just became that guy. But I took it into the self-checkout. I was in self-checkout. I was like, okay, one. One. <laughs> one. And I was like, this is so dumb. I'm feeling dumb. And then I was like, okay, they're going to call my name and I'm waiting for a text. They call my name. And like before they do, I ask, hey, what are you guys all grabbing? Like, what should I get? And of course, like most collectors who don't know you, they're like tight lipped about it. Like it's super secret. Okay. It's like, oh my God, I can't tell them what I'm doing here. All right. And, but I guess they already went. So one person told me, and there was like one word responses because they didn't want to give away too much. They're like, you should get the all select football. All right. And that's what they had. And I was like, well, what do you do? Do you guys open it? I was like, no, no, you shouldn't open it. You should keep it. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, all right. I was like, I get up there and I'm like expecting this to be like this expensive thing that I'm going to pay for. And I was just like, oh man, dude, I just bought these Pokemon cards. What do I owe you for this? And it came out to like 35 bucks. I was like, oh, okay, what do I get in here even? I'm looking at the package. Oh, it's like 12 cards in a box this big with some special premium cards. I was like, this is what people do every Friday. And behind her was, like, the whole selection. It was, like, more, like, um, they might have had some Magic the Gathering stuff, too, but a bunch of Pokemon, a bunch of sports cards. And, like, when I got back to my car, I had a shopping bag filled with the, just a couple of items of what I came for and, like, almost, like, 15, 16 items of what I didn't come for. But I didn't feel like I missed out, and I was actually a part of it. But that's the problem with FOMO, man. Like, all of a sudden, you're, like, you're knees deep in, like, Stuff you weren't expecting or this like you just you didn't miss out. So I felt good I didn't miss out. But by the end of it, I was like, what did I just do? And why did I do it? <laughs> you got I'm roped in, myself. man. Yeah, you like, got roped in hard. Yeah, I couldn't even control it. I was like, dang it. <laughs> you couldn't even control it. Well, we have some other members who have some things to say about FOMO that would love to hear your reaction to. And remind the comic fam, comment down below. We do have a giveaway on deck and we're going to reveal the winner of last uh, podcast giveaway um, where Jeff was a uh, part of. And we're going to be chatting about buyer's regret. All right. So this is what Joe Scar had to say. FOMO is real. I've mentally tricked myself into way overpaying for books too many times. Just recently, I thought I overpaid for an ASM 361 only to find out I paid about $50 less than fair market value. I guess FOMO has led me to make inadvertent good decisions as well. Some members may think FOMO is bad. But no, FOMO is a real feeling that could actually pay off, you know, because as we're going to mention in next podcast where we all get together, the buyer's regret, that never leaves you. That's like one of the few things in comics that you will have very, very difficulty to forget. 
Yeah, I mean, FOMO is that is that like we said, it's a feeling, you know, fear fear of missing out. So when you go through it, you're going because you're hoping for something to happen. All right, something um, to be optimistic about. So right. when it actually comes to fruition, that you know you you had this fear of missing out and you didn't, that's a big deal because now you've either accomplished something great that you wanted to accomplish, acquired something that you wanted to acquire, and that's. That's why you have that feeling because you don't want to lose on that. It's rewarding. Exactly. It's rewarding. Exactly. Well, this member happened to luck out, you know, buying an ASM 361 just around the right price. I mean, under $50 fair market value. That's a great deal to me. You know, I'm a, a fan of paying, you know, market value or as close to. And if you have to, if you're looking for something, I'm not going to be disappointed when someone wants what they can get for the book. And any other day, they're doing you a solid if they're giving you a deal. And in this particular case, with Venom 2 coming, Carnage being revealed, us actually seeing the symbiote on screen for the first time, this book has shot up. Heck, the cameos and the second cameo and the third blob cameo. I mean, there's like a bunch of Cletus Cassidy keys that people can look for that are under 30 bucks. They're all moving. So this is a member who's happy that feeling of FOMO landed because he moved when he didn't think he would otherwise. And then we have Frankie Kuros. I had a strong case of FOMO when it came to all things Peach Momoko for a bit, but I've gotten better at only getting her covers if the series is one I'm interested in. Now, this is a real one. Sometimes I get really hyped up on an artist. Peach Momoko was one of them. And I get pretty aggressive. I try to buy as many of the covers that I can. But here's the thing. It's not always to just collect them all. I feel like I'm supporting the creator as well. So there's a level of, you know, I'm not trying to make money off the art. If there's an incentive I'm really into, I'll get it. But if you're a completionist and you're trying to get everything with the hopes that you're going to spec on something in the future, you can fall pretty hard, especially if that creator becomes really popular and starts doing a lot of stuff just like Peach Momoko. Now, you bought some original Peach Momoko art. I did buy some Peach Momoko art. Um, I did. I wanted to get it um, into that as well. You know, would I, you say it was a degree of FOMO when you had the opportunity? Yeah, I mean, okay, so it wasn't FOMO for me for the Peach Momoko. It was more like, oh, Peach Momoko is part of the channel and helping us out. I was really excited to get a piece of artwork because of that. You know? What'd you get, by the way? Uh, I got a TMNT cover. One, I don't remember what number, 100, 109? 110. Oh, 110. It was 110, the, the last Ronin in preview, and it was our cover that we did. Yes, yes. Okay, One. it was our cover. I knew that. I, I couldn't remember the issue. Oh, yeah, that guy right there. Yep. Hey. I think you may need a copy. We got to get you a, a a copy, a trade dress and a virgin. That's all right. I got the art. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I kid, I kid. This uh, guy was, you were on that one quick, man, between you and Russ, because I'm not, I wasn't really buying a whole lot of original art. I'm mean, going to dabble a little bit, but Russ was like, is Jeff getting it? Because I want it if he doesn't get it. And you're like, I already bought it. It's on its way. <laughs> yes. Sorry, sir. Um, I'll tell you, um, I used to have a store for a short bit uh, out in Portland area with a friend of mine. Um, shout out to Cloud9 Comics out in Portland. Um, so when I had a store, I was reading a lot more modern books and just trades. And I really got into a series there. And it was called. it was by Image. And Image was just crushing it. And this was probably like, I don't know, six years ago or so. And uh, it was a title called Low. All right. It was, it's a you really, mentioned this last time on the show, by the way. Yeah, I really, you got, really like low. I got to read I this like comment. low. It's like uh, underwater, but it feels like you're in space. So it's kind of a sci-fi underwater. It's really awesome. And the artist is Greg, uh, Greg Tuccini, this watercolor work. 
And I just was like, dude, I fell in love with it because I liked the story and the artwork. And I was just like, you know, I really wanted to get some art. Apparently, the arts owned was owned at the time by his representative or a good friend of him who had like every single cover, all the pieces, all of them. And then I started to feel like, dude, I'm never going to get one. And for like a, almost a year, I worked at this guy and eventually he let one go. And usually when they let one go, others are going to follow. And so next thing I know, I go from having like one piece to like three covers. Three, no, four, I don't even know how many covers. I have like four covers, two painted, huge, beautiful, three painted, three painted. I think I have number one variant. Okay. And then some interior pages and I really fell into it. And again, that was just me. Like I just dive right in. And like, once I feel like I'm told that I can't have it, I end up trying to get it even harder. <laughs> I didn't want to miss out on it because I felt like low, such a good series. I should get in early. And then I was like, what am I doing? By the end of it, I was like, what did I just do? You're man? putting together a whole comic book with yeah, worth like, of original pages. Like, how many do I need here? What, what am I doing? And I stopped cold. I was like, okay, <laughs> no more missing out. Take I'm, it off the grill. You're I done. I've officially not missed out. All right. Take a look at this. Rev 20. He had a kind of a lengthy a story in the comment section about FOMO that I thought was very much worth bringing to the mic. So he is doing some dealing. He was looking at some comics. He was looking at a lot of really cool comics, but this is the one that made him stop. He sees it. Daredevil one. He's better at grading now than he was then, but he'd place it at a solid 4.0 off white book. And when he checked the price of the own, you know, that the owner had on the comic, the owner responded with $400. All right. And he says he waffled. And I like how he said this. I waffled so hard. I could have opened up a waffle house. All right. He wasn't sure on whether he should commit to this. So he would go on to say that, you know, he's going to go home to think about it. He said he went home for not more than two hours to discuss with his wife and look at their finances. He had just spent some money, wanted to make sure. And he thought it would be no problem. She was very supportive thought it was a great deal as well. And he had back to the location of where this book was. Someone had bought it 30 minutes before he arrived. He missed out on it. And he says here that it's something that he gets mad about when he thinks about it and he can never forget it. It's one of the biggest keys that he's after. And now he's going to be forced to look for maybe a 0.5 graded copy if he doesn't have to trade a bunch of his comic books to replace it with. Because as you know, Daredevil 1 has hit some of the biggest gains that book has ever had in just the last six months. And it started with a 9.6 sale. That was monstrous. I get it, man. And that's one of those situations where only time is going to make it hurt more because every year is that gap of uh, growth in price. It's just, you're just like kicking yourself even harder. Give him some perspective here. Rev, you're going to want to probably turn this down for a couple seconds, right? Yeah. I mean, look, a 4.0 is probably, let's just say 6K right about now. Okay? Sorry, Rev. Yeah. Sorry, Rev. But it, it happens to all of us. And, you know, there's that voice, man, when it's talking to you and it's small, but it it's that voice that's telling you, hey, you, you, you really got to think a little harder about this because if you're going to put your money into a book and you put it into a good book, and the price is really, really close to where your little voice is telling you you should buy it, you should probably just pick it up. You're splitting hairs at a certain point, right? Yeah, and that's going to lead to next week's conversation regret because that's a lonely, low level to be at when you're feeling that uh, those, um, 
guttural, ugly emotions for not buying something and you're just seeing where it's gone to and how you can't even afford it now. Dude, I've sold, and we'll get into seller's regret, but I've sold things that I know was a bummer. You know, some of them, they stick with you bigger than others when they're a mistake, you know, not a mistake, but you sold too early. You know, you have those examples, I'm sure. However, they don't stick with you as much as buyer's regret. You'll always we remember. We can't, we can't, we can't talk about it. Talk, talk I know, much. but the FOMO is real though, is what I'm talking about. And this kind of, this kind of went into the, I guess, next week's discussion that we're going to have, or rather the community is going to see it in two weeks. Yes, so. guys, next week that I'm telling you, man. It's pain. It's pain. Well, you know what? Shout out to Rev. We do appreciate you sharing your example of FOMO. You felt it, and then it led to buyer's regret. Here's another person in the community that I, uh, this actually made me really laugh. Um, The moment I downloaded Key Collector is the moment I started feeling FOMO. Not that I don't love the app. It's just something I noticed. This is from Pockets the Wizard. And that is a very real thing. You know, the more entrenched you are in the market, I can tell every member of the community, I struggle with this on a weekly basis. We're chatting about the news of the market. I'm going on the mic recording the historical record of all the hot books, the record breakers, the movers and shakers, the comics defining this generation of collectors and watching books that I've told myself, I'm going to get that eventually. Why didn't I buy that book? I didn't buy the book damn it, you know, and then I'm buying them more expensive because I'm tired of chatting about them on the mic and telling myself I should have gotten this. Like I'm really in the trenches as it pertains to the news and what's happening, whether it be with option news or what artists are doing or writers of, you know, cooking James Tynan, where you at? And I'm over here going, man, I would just spend every penny that I have if I acted on every feeling of FOMO. But man, so many things happen. Something is killing the children. I was looking at 9.8s the day before the option news dropped. They were going for $600. And I was like, man, this book is just awesome. And I really want it. And I could get one for $650. And that seems so high. But maybe I have some time left. The next damn day, I'm looking at Key Collector. I call up Nick. I'm like, you son of a bitch. Uh, Cause you know, he's, he, when he gets info and he has permission to go, he goes, that's got to hit the app. It's got to com- be communicated to the community. So like he did his job and I'm very happy he does his job, but I even feel as like an affiliate of key collector, you know, use the Kotam 101 to support the show. I'm over here now looking at thousand dollar prices for a 9.8 going, Oh, son of a bitch. Oh, I should have acted right then and there. I should have bought three of them when I wanted to buy them, and I didn't. However, I've also bought books that did not do that, and that went down in value, and those types of feelings also play during these moments, and you experience that FOMO, and you're happy you didn't act on it because, hey, you didn't overspend, but I'll never forget that 24 hours where I was waffling just like Rev20, you know, should I get this book, Erica Slaughter, come on. And I knew, I knew it was, I knew it would be right. And I don't know why I didn't just commit. I got distracted. I did something else. Damn it. But it happens, comic fam. It absolutely happens. Thank you so much, uh, Pockets Wizard, for commenting on our videos. We really appreciate you. Here's another one from JC Jernigan. FOMO's real. 
I ended up with numerous ASM 300s, first full appearance of Venom, because I didn't want to miss out and the price to go up too high. I'm thinking that was a good bet. Yeah, a way to act on your FOMO. Right. You know, again, you put it in a quality book, and that's as tried a true book as it can get for that time frame of comics. I love that book, man. It was a book that back in the day you can get a for a few hundred dollars, a really gorgeous looking 9.6, man. Even the 9.8s weren't absurd. But man, that book has blown up now. And the movie's only helping. Some members of the community actually think that the hikes of Spidey 300, ASM 299, 298, you know, just these types of McFarlane keys aren't as affected by the movie as some other blue chip books are. Like there's a level of just community involvement that wants to secure keys that they respect so highly that it's just gravy that there's movies coming out. And traditionally, that's not how it goes. It's mostly like, oh, there's a movie coming out. Now I'm going to buy it. Now this is the time I want to get it before it potentially can get out of reach. And ASM 300, man, like what a great anniversary issue to have in high grade. Heck, some of those books were even printed pretty poorly with like jagged edges and such. You know, this is a book that deserves to be selling at the price it is. Yeah, uh, deserve is is a big word for it. You know, whether it deserves it or not, it, it is what it is. It's true, the reality true. of that book, and especially in newsstand. But that book exploded on scene when it hit the when it hit the shelves. I mean, the spinner rack. When you saw that, you were instantly in love. There's so much nostalgia behind that book on top of it being a first full appearance of a character argue it don't argue it whatever it is what it is and um like i said it's it's become iconic at this point it's also the book where spidey sheds the black suit which is actually how mcfarlane went on record during our interview to notate he's like i don't know this book to be the first appearance of venom this is the first time i got to draw spider-man actually because he felt like that when he went on scene to create a Spider-Man narrative through the art and he was hit with him being in a black suit. He's like, I don't want to draw a Spider-Man in a black suit. It's not cool is what he said. And it wasn't until 300 where it was removed and he gets to draw Spider-Man, that classic pinup, Zorro, make sure to showcase it here. And this right here became McFarlane's most memorable thing from being on the title. Just drawing Spider-Man the way that he knew him to be since he was a kid. All right, let's take a look at some comments that were done over on Instagram. You can follow me at ComicTom101. And, oh my gosh, the first one, I'm not even going to skip it because of the story I just told about uh, Something is Killing the Children. But we have Joel Loves Comics, who says Something is Killing the Children, number one, first print cover. Uh, it doubled in price, and he's in Europe. So he's saying that he wishes he would have bought it for 300 euros. He managed to snag it in a bin for 200. He had to get it. So I'm jealous of you, my friend. You didn't miss out, it sounds like. Sometimes you just got to go for it. Take a look at this other one. John Mullen, 1776. He says, um, I'm generally new to comics, and every time I read an event or a new series, I need to do all the backup reading, or I don't feel like I really read it, and I'm missing part of the story. That's another thing that I do. It's tough to get into the events that are done by DC or Marvel and not feel obligated to pick up those side stories, even if it's only a couple pages, you know, like that's how it really went down back in the day with Marvel comics, where it's like, yeah, this is part of the crossover event. This is part of the infinity gauntlet crossover, but it's like on a level of how integrated it is to the main saga. 
it's like a blip in the pan sometimes. Like it's just nothing. It's a panel or two, but sometimes it's a full story. I need all of them. I don't care how little there is. I feel like I'm missing something. Mm, I did that. I dug in really deep with Planet Hulk. Right. When I got to Planet Hulk, I was like, oh, there's World War Hulk. Oh, there's all these little side stories of these characters that he came across in the meantime and that had battles with. I was like, oh, my God. And I just kept digging deeper and deeper. And it was so much fun. You know, it, 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 it kind of added more to a story I already loved. And it didn't take away from it, luckily. So it was good writing. It, it was great, man. I really enjoyed it. FOMO doesn't just affect the collectible purchase. It affects the reading purchase, which is really what comics are about, you know? So I do appreciate that comment, John Mullen 1776. All right, we have comics in silver and gold. He says he passed on a Hulk 181 for $300 a few years back. Now FOMO is real for any of my other favorite characters. Yeah, that book has priced itself out a few times over, and it's only going up. Even Hulk 180 has had major gains. That used to be the alternative on the con floor. Like I remember multiple times. I mean, even John Hill, he show, he sold me my first, shout out Hills of Comics, my first Hulk 180 because I wanted a 181. And he's like, yeah, it's a bit pricey. What's more in your budget? Can you afford this one? And I'm like, why that one? And he opened up to the page, the cameo appearance or appearance if you want it to be that. And sure enough, it was hundreds and hundreds of dollars cheaper. Now, neither of those books are affordable. Members are frolicking to, as mentioned earlier in the show, the solo series, the Frank Miller number one, even the Weapon X storyline in Marvel Presents is now being looked at as the affordable Logan keys. Pretty soon people are going to be like, where's the Wolverine Origins number one? That's what I need. (laughs) Oh yeah. We're going real deep, huh? Uh, yeah, I mean, 180 used to be just the great backup to it. And it was a solid backup book. I mean, how could you not? 182, I still feel, doesn't get any love. 182 is so damn cool. You know? it, he's in there. It's That was another thing, you and know? He's in there for what, one, the first page, and then he's not? I mean, I, I get it. It's the same type of feeling I have about Hulk 180. Like, he's barely in there, too. But that's it's part true. of the story. And it's like Hulk 181 that leads into Hulk 182. It's still like a part of the Hulk 181 story. Yeah. Super cheap. Oh, and Butch wants to come in. Can you let him in? All right, Butch. Butch the comic cat. He, he, you know, sometimes he wants in, sometimes he doesn't. And right now in this moment, he wants to be here, comic fan. We do appreciate you. Do us a favor. If you're listening to us on iTunes, give us a rating. It goes a long way. That's Butch. He's asking for it. He's pleading. Um, let's take a look at this next one. Um, we have Mr. Danny Arroyo. He says his FOMO comes when he doesn't buy something before the film comes out. This does happen when the movie trailer drops. It's pretty much dependent on the quality of the trailer, but more times than not, even if it's subpar, there's no looking back. There is no chance. That book is going to be at a height that it may not come down from. Yeah, there's that. uh, Well, he was saying after the movie comes out, right? So there's that there's that thought process. There's the thought process that the book's going to go down after a movie comes out because then it's no longer hot. And then there's like, is it going to continue to go up? So, uh, yeah, man, but trailers, you're right, man. You see a trailer, you know that book's going to spike. I mean, the anticipation, again, man, it's like Shang-Chi is just the latest example. And you know when they're going to show another character in some other trailer that that character is going to spike. Loki. I mean, that Loki Disney show that's coming out. That- Journey 85, man, has been an underappreciated and undervalued book forever. 
Yeah. And now the heights that book reaches right now, I think I three fives are selling for over 4k, I believe now, like probably 4,500 plus. I mean, that's, that's crazy. I know. I was looking at that 2.0 last week, trying to get it for under 3k and man, it's starting to look better and better by the day. I may be coming back to the mic, complaining about FOMO and not acting when I should have. And it's funny you mentioned Shang-Chi. Ali Lyon said, his experience of FOMO that happened recently was buying the first Shang-Chi literally on the day the trailer came out. Oh, he did? Right when the trailer dropped, he bought a copy. He That's needed all right, it. Man. That's all right. There'll be more trailers, man. You'll be fine. You'll no, be he, fine. he got it, though. So he's I mean, happy with it. He's happy. He got right. it. He's hoping it, you know, go up, that the movie's going to perform well. I have very high hopes for this movie. It looks pretty damn good. Um, and we also have, oh, this is a... a fellow member in the comic space who's providing value on a regular basis over on Instagram. We got AKA Mr. Bolo. He's saying lately, I feel like I am talking myself out of deals for FOMO fear too often. Hashtag overcompensate. So now we have a level of FOMO that you know is there that's causing another level of FOMO that's preventing you from acting because you're worried about FOMO overcompensating the layers. That's a complicated FOMO right there. I would say that's a complicated FOMO. <laughs> we appreciate you, Jack. Thank you for the comment and go follow him on Instagram, providing excellent commentary about the comic book community on a regular basis. Electric Boogaloo 21. This was an interesting one. He said his recent experience of FOMO came about X-Men number four. And we are not talking about Scarlet Witch. We're not talking about uncanny goodness, Quicksilver, where you at, Brotherhood of Evil. No, we're talking about X-Men 4, Jim Lee status, Omega Red. He said, probably X-Men 4, great book, and Omega Red is amazing, but spec really raised the cost of that book. I sit next to one I used to. Oh, it's right there. It's on your side. I moved. We got some frames. I don't know if you've noticed. We, we bought some frames and hung them up. I think they look pretty damn classy. And I put my 9.8 Omega Red X-Men 4 with that damn barcode looking gorgeous white pager right on the wall there. I specced on that book prior to the spec getting out of hand, but I didn't spec on it because of why other members started buying it. They thought that there was going to be some type of mutant integration during Falcon and Winter Soldier. That didn't happen, but I actually got it because of the Black Widow movie. I thought this would be a cool character. Everyone would be shocked. You know, it fits. He's a villain that could integrate well into the film. Who knows? And I'm sitting here looking at this book starting to double in price. It's amazing. If you're at all thinking about X-Men and want to get in kind of reasonably on a key, I mean, I don't know what these numbers are at now, but I just, wouldn't they just like at, was a 98 at just like two months ago. It was probably like 300 bucks, 400 bucks, wasn't it? Yeah, it was under 300. We were like letting it go for like 200, 250 a couple months. So back. how many books can you get into that's a key of a mutant character that a lot of people actually really like as a villain for two, $300? I mean, at some point, man, you got to commit and jump in. It's man. true. As well as a newsstand version of a 9.8, it's only going to go up a few hundred dollars more, which sounds like a lot, especially for a book that was mass printed and that would go raw for 10 to $20 for upwards of a decade. Well, that newsstand multiplier is typically like double for a lot of keys, a couple hundred bucks for the newsstand for a book that, you know, it's like for every 
I don't want to guess what it is, but it's, it's a good amount. It's like for every 20 direct copies, you see maybe one newsstand and it's not priced in a way that's entertaining. You know, it's definitely something you got to fork up that extra cash for, but I'm a big fan and I think it's a great book to have. You never know. It's a great cover too. Jim Lee. I mean, it's got a lot for it. This is what X nerdy things X had to say. They bought a amazing fantasy 15 first full appearance of Spider-Man back in 2004 for $1,100. And they felt like an idiot until they got it graded. Came back at a five, a mid grade copy he says, sold it instantly. So he was feeling bad, but sometimes that grade is really all you need to eliminate that feeling of FOMO and to feel triumphant. Have you ever been surprised about a grade? Yes, I've been surprised by a lot of grades, <laughs> either good or bad. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I get surprised by grades for sure. I mean, I was just talking to a friend of mine who bought a book. It was a, um, he had a really nice book, Golden Age book. It was a Venus 19 and um, he got into it kind of heavy, so he thought. But again, it was a really great quality book. And so because he got into it heavy, he felt that he needed to relieve himself of that burden and sell it. And I feel like these people who were talking about the AF-15 um, bought a book. They felt that they maybe got in too heavy for, and they were optimistic. They were surprised that it came back as high as it was and saw that, hey, we made a great purchase. Let's sell it. Now the now it comes in. Now you look back like I probably should have kept it. And same thing with him. He got into it, wasn't sure about it. But literally after you sold it, the market then shot up and now you're regretting it. And so uh, it's a funny thing, man. Catch FOMO. 22, man. You know, it gets you into something or it keeps you out of it. And then you're it's sometimes when you win on FOMO like this, you're like, yes, I won on FOMO. I'm cashing out. And then it comes back again, almost, because you're like, oh, I should have kept it. It's like that villain. You thought it was dead. You thought you conquered. But wait a minute. They're back, and somehow they're stronger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're playing a video game. You beat that, and you already beat that guardian. He comes back now with a, another piece of equipment. Yeah, and you take I him played out. this one before, you know? Yeah. It's like the dragon in Invincible. I already beat him, and now he's back, and he's stronger. It doesn't even make sense. <laughs> Comic fam, we... Love chatting about your guys' experience in the community. Let us know. I want to also um, end with this particular example of FOMO. Really hit home. Touch me right here. Right in the corazón. We the talk, heart. We haven't talked about the Promise Collection yet. No, we're going to get that next, man. Oh, we're saying, about to jump into it. We're not ending saying, the show. Bye. Come on. We're, this show is just getting started. Where are you getting this kind of comic book themed content, comic fam? Hit that subscribe button. This is from Harm's Way Chad. He said, he's not going to lie. I was going to one and done the MMC one month, but out of fear of missing out, he continued. That is right there. What I'm looking for comic fam. We're trying to bring the heat every single month. And this is a member who was just going to sign up one time, but then we put out that cover, the next cover, the, the next tease of what's coming. And now he's sticking around supporting our show monthly. We appreciate it. And for any of you who Stick with us long-term. Holy smokes. That is a degree of support that is incalculable. We can't tell you how much we appreciate it. And I want to just remind everybody that we're currently in enrollment for the June Mystery Mail Call, where every single person is going to be getting a Raph Grissetti variant of Something is Killing the Children, issue number 16. It's amazing. It's gorgeous. It's my favorite variant to date. 
and everybody's going to be getting a version of it in their mail. Call open enrollments now, comictown101.com to join the community. And yes, Jeff, now we can talk about this damn pedigree that you've been telling me about nonstop. I'm talking to this guy on the phone and the conversation somehow transitions from comic books. Sometimes you bring horses in the mix, but most of the time it comes back to comic books. And next thing you know, we're chatting about this damn pedigree collection. Explain to the community what we're talking about first. All right. Pedigrees. Let's just start there. What's a pedigree, Jeff? Pedigree is an original owner collection, something that somebody bought off the newsstands. And generally it's pre-1960 books. Okay. And usually something of more than a thousand issues. Of course. So when you fit those criteria and um, for a collection, you can potentially get a pedigree status. Plus the grade has to be exceptional. A pedigree status. Yes. It's got to be extremely high grades for the books. It's like a collection and CGC currently has 61 pedigree status collections that they are um, calculated and, and have on their stat on their census rather of being in existence. And it was 60 upwards of a week ago. And now it's 61. Yeah, we just got our 61st designation of a pedigree, and it's called the Promise Pedigree. Let's welcome the Promise Pedigree to the comic book community. We're going to do another another round. We appreciate the collectors. We appreciate CGC for honoring this collection with the black label, the custom label that they recently integrated into their portfolio of available labels. It's black. It's been improved since we saw it debut in 2019. The thing's kind of got a gold tint. I'm really digging yeah, it. Yeah, it's no longer a tuxedo label. It's got a gold finish to it. Um, so it's hot, dude. I saw it. I'm it like, looks, damn, dude. It looks really, really good. I'm like looking back. Like I'm like I'm holding my blue label right here. I'm looking back. I'm like, damn, look at that. <laughs> look at that new fresh label. Like it's, I want one of those. It's like that meme you always see, right? right? With the That's guys looking feel. back. And- Chalen, make that happen somehow. <laughs> like, but but yeah high grade 2019 um the the labels were integrated but the pedigrees have been a status for a long time and having upwards of 61 of them there's stories that accompany them we could have podcast after podcast about these collections they're that exciting and this one in particular is one of the most fascinating comic book finds i have ever seen i've ever learned about Let's just hit him with the Bleeding Cool article because this is where it was initially debuted. All the information was debuted by the website with pictures. We actually follow some of the heritage graders, so we got even more pictures to showcase. But this is the quote about what made this pedigree last as long as it did. And then we're going to get into some of the most beautiful comics you've ever seen in your life. Yeah, and like again, before we get too far, like pedigrees tend to all have a history behind them. And some of them are really amazing because you got to understand like for these books to reach certain heights something about that person has had to make them um, want to keep books that old in nice shape okay and you know that's kind of where the story lies where's the history behind it and then where was it kept how was it kept how was it handed down because it doesn't necessarily come from that person itself they could have passed away a decade ago before it so, I mean, some of the ones we most know, notable are the church, which we're going to get into more. Edgar Church, 15,000 comics that were acquired between the years 1937 and 1957. Easily the most famous pedigree of all pedigrees. 
the Davis uh, Crippen, 13,000 comics between 1940 and 1955. We have the Lamont Larson collection between 1936 and 1940, a thousand comics that were kept together, preserved, and then brought to this subcategory of a census, a inflation that didn't always inflate the comics for quite a long time. This is more recent that these pedigree statuses have actually caused a um, inflation to the price of the book beyond whatever the grade is. Because as you mentioned, the history that you get it starts to become more valuable than the grade itself to a certain degree. We also have the Robert and Juni collection. This is the Promise collection. This is the 61st pedigree that has been integrated into our community. And we have to welcome it with open arms because it is one of the most beautiful comic book collection stories that I've heard. Yeah, the the little story behind that we have, because more information is going to be let out. The family wants a little anonymity to it, um, but just the the tale of the journey this book's traveled um, is, is really a great little story. We're going to get into that right now. Um, it involves two brothers, and those are the names, like we mentioned, Robert and Junie. And uh, Junie was off to war, and he was an avid comic collector. The Korean War yeah, in the 1950. War. Yeah, in the, in the early 50s. And um, he told his brother, or he asked his brother, if he could please watch over his comic collection. That was his request. That he was, was his request. Sent off to war, and his brother Robert actually joined the military as well to try to keep an eye on his younger brother. You know, to also try to help. And in their conversations, Junie was like, "Yo, if anything does happen to me, protect my funny books." That's the quote. Yeah, that was a kind of a terminology for comic books, funny books. Okay, they were just funny books, but. You know, we just know more now as comic books and classify them as superhero and all these other things. Robert knew how dear the books were to his brother. And the quote is, so he promised him, yes, of course, he would take care of those funny books. If something ever happened, God forbid. And something did happen to his younger brother, Junie. Junie passed away in battle at 21 years old. And so Robert took the mantle and um, followed through on that promise. And those comics stayed safe for half a century plus. In an attic, he like took the comics, put them together, preserved them, and they laid above a floor, just preserved, somewhere safe. And this collection has now come out to the market and got into CGC's hands, getting graded, hitting heritage. You're going to see these sales throughout the next couple months and coming months as well, because there's a lot of books, you know, upwards of a thousand. Yeah, heritageauctions.com or ha.com, you can put in. I think bidding begins May 28th. This is not going to be all the books. There's about 5,000, so they can't get them all graded as fast as they'd like to, but a portion of it, a really good portion of it, is going to hit the market here and then closing, I think, around mid-June. So we're going to see some absolute the greatest examples of some of these books you will probably ever find. It's amazing, comic fam. Like, let me just read you some quotes from the Heritage Auction Senior VP and buyer slash consignment directors, et cetera. Heritage Auction Senior VP Ed Jaster says, the collection's depth and scope is almost unparalleled. I expect nearly two-thirds of the books will stand as the finest known copies for any particular comic represented in the collection. Hearing that from a Heritage Auction Senior VP it really matters. This gentleman has seen some of the most beautiful comics 
that have ever existed. Some of the biggest sales have passed through these people's hands. And this person says, I like stopped them in their tracks. Can you read this next quote, Jeff? This is from the um, comics buyer and consignment director, Rick Akers. And this is someone who you had the pleasure of actually chatting with prior to the release of this article because you were learning about the collection. Big shout out to Rick Akers, guys. I mean, he's a big uh, Golden Age collector as well. He's done a lot for the hobby and, um, you know, really good dude out there. So this is what he had to say. I have, like many collectors, always dreamed of coming across an untouched trove of comical gems from the 1940s. And that's absolutely true. One of these days, I would love to discover something as a pedigree. And I thought I've come close a couple of times, but... It just never happens. It's that story you hear, you know, like, oh man, if I could just go back in time, if I could just find that treasure case that has all of those comics in it, you know, and this is that situation, like these comics in this box, the boxes that they were stored, like that's the feeling that someone had to have had at some point in the last few months as it came out to the market. Yeah, it's amazing. The, yeah, new stand fresh. If you can imagine something from that time frame, he continued... As these books came in, before being sent to CGC, I was able to look through several boxes of timely and esoteric titles, and my breath was taken away with the glossy inks and white pages. The Promise Collection experience is definitely the highlight of my time in comics up to this point, and I think this one will be pretty difficult to top. I can't even imagine being in those shoes to see those books raw, flip through them. I like exactly the way they were originally delivered on back in the forties. Like I'm, I'm so envious and I have to tell you, there is so much anticipation for these books. Like in the hobby, I'm talking to people daily and they are selling whatever they have to be able to be part of this promise. They want to like fly down and have like a, you know, that hey, was a, a little today, you know, come together guys. And we're all going down there. We're going to be there in person for the auction, you know, I, just to be present at yeah. this comic history that's happening. I literally got that message today. I had a group of friends in a golden age chat thread. We're like, we should all fly down. Let's go and do it. We'll be there in person because it's also a live auction and it's also streamed. So you can be part of it either way, but to experience something epic like that, because I can't imagine there being, any more pedigrees to this level. I mean, you have to think about that. Like something has to be stored perfectly for that much watched over and taken care of to this level. It's just, un, uh, it's unheard of because the church came out in the seventies. This is what 50 plus years, 50 years later. And we're Crazy. seeing this craziness. Like, All right. Let's chat about the books because these comics are so high grade. And we're talking about someone who had great taste. This isn't just like, oh, it's a bunch of Gene Autry's, you know. We got a bunch of uh, offshoots. Too bad there's no insert key book here. No, this gentleman, at probably before he was in his 20s, when he was getting these and collecting them, he had great taste in comics. Like, these are the books that people want now, man. And let's get into some of these books because they are amazing. Yeah, here's just a few issues, okay? I mean, we'll start off with Detective Comics 140. This is the first appearance of the Riddler. All right, DC did not put many, if any, first appearance villains on the cover. This didn't happen. No, they were. you didn't see them until they were in the interior first, generally. Really, I think, at all. And now, unlike this particular example, we see Riddler on the cover. You didn't even see Joker. 
True. Joker's in Batman 1, his first appearance. You don't see him on the cover. Nope. Okay. Same with the Penguin. You just didn't see these characters. Now we see the Riddler. All right. Detective Comics number one, 9.6. 9.6, comic fam. Holy hell. Oh, and what color is the pages, you think? Oh, my gosh. You white. would never think it's white, but it's white. Yes. And let's give it an idea of the value here we're talking. All right. Give we, the community some perspective. Yeah. And I have no idea where this number is going to go. You know, these books are such grades. I can't even speculate on most of them what the final hammer price will be. But a 7.5 of this book, the same auction house, sold in April of this year for $40,800. A 7.5. We have a 9.6 pedigree. This auction is going to break records for probably the most expensive comic books sold or most money garnered through the sale of comics. Hit him with this Phantom Lady number 17 because I know you love some Phantom Lady. So Phantom Lady, classic good girl art. Uh, Seduction of the Innocent was in it, uh, was part of the Seduction of the Innocent book. Fox Feature Syndicate. I mean, you're- It's a Fox publication. I love Fox publication. Cover art by Matt Baker. Hell yeah. Absolutely coveted book. This book is also a 9-6. Insane, dude. Yep. And it's got pink pages. Okay, and Pink Pages was common for, for Fox Books. The pink bled in um, from the cover, from the interior. Sure. And it's caused Pink's Pages. So that's not uncommon. That's why you'll see that designation. It's weird, but that's what happens with the Fox Books. Get this comic from a 9.4 of this issue back in 2019 went for $121,000. We're dealing with a 9.6 pedigree. That shouldn't exist. But it's here. Amazing. All American comics. Hot freaking damn, dude. Number 61. Spit about it, dude. This is insane. One of my favorite Golden Age covers and villain cover there is. It's one of the best, man. Love Got freaking it. Solomon Grundy. This is a 9-6. Off white to white pages. But who cares at this point? Nope. The church did beat it out with a 9-8. There is a 9-8 church. Sure. Okay, so it still holds, you know, weight. But a 7.0 copy last year sold for $30,500. Do you think it can clear 100K? Yes. Absolutely, right? Absolutely. We have homes that could be purchased, maybe not in this market, maybe in some other states, but some pretty damn big down payments that are happening with single issues over at Heritage. And then this one right here, I got to say, man, this is one of my favorites on this list, but it's also... As far as grade goes, extremely impressive. It's one of those cap grails that I want so bad. I just know I'm never going to be able to get it, even though I want it. Maybe super, super low and incomplete. But we have Captain America Comics. Issue number 74. Graded at a 9.2. This probably doesn't get any more iconic for Captain America run. This, is for me, is one of the top... Six covers in that Captain America run. It's a long run. I mean, this is issue 74. It's uh, it's a time in comics where things start to be less superhero and move towards more of a horror direction. So that's why we're seeing this. I mean, you're even seeing Captain America in small writing. And we right. see the title Weird Tales. It says Captain America featuring Weird Tales. Or Weird Tales featuring Captain America. So it's the Red Skull with these huge monstrous claws looking super 
demonic. It's strict horror, man. And this only happened for a blip towards the end of the run. I mean, we're used to seeing Cap doing war stuff, punching Hitler, you know, him and Bucky saving the day. And this is just dreadful looking. It's so badass. And this grade is outstanding. I mean, 9-2, white pages. It doesn't get better in the page quality. 9-2 is absolutely phenomenal. Is this the highest graded copy? And the second highest, the next highest would be an 8-0. That's crazy, man. A 9-2 I mean, is the highest graded. That's, that is outstanding. This is going to, what would you guess that this is going to hit? I mean, I wouldn't be. It's so tough. It's so tough because in 2019, a 7-5, five, five, I believe, Sold for 27K. Dude, this deserves to break 100K. This will break 100K. It has to. I mean, I feel like I know several people who would pay that if and more to own the highest graded of this Promise collection. Like, it's there's so much hype behind this, and, and rightfully so. The labels are gorgeous. I haven't seen many of these gold labels yet. There's so much going for the timing is right with these books. I mean, we're going to see astronomical numbers and I can't wait. It's going to be a spectacle. I appreciate the family, you know, providing what insight on the collection they provided because they didn't have to do that. You know, that's, that's given us more than anyone would ever ask for, but it is just a humbling thing to experience and be alive during this time of comic history. We're going to see a lot of these comics hit the market very soon. It's going to be an event. You know, we're going to bring it back on the mic to chat about showcase some other comics that have yet to be seen yet. We don't even know all that's there. We're only seeing pictures. They're slowly coming out. The graders at Heritage are slowly showing peaks behind the curtain, overhead shots of just gorgeous detective. Some of the just vi most vibrant colors on Golden Age comics I think I've ever seen. That's a beautiful thing, dude. It really is. You're going to see them how they were originally presented, and what, 80 years ago? I mean, it's insane. So, um, and you, you get, you know, you can watch this live, like we mentioned. It's streamed live. So, at least if you just want to watch comics and see something um, you don't get to see, except, I don't know, every decade, something magical that's going to happen with a collection or someone's uh, pedigree, you got to go check it out on heritage.com or heritage. Yeah, just heritage.com, ha.com. Near decade ago when I was um, up at night chilling with my homies. And we were staying up late to watch the Mars rover landing. We stayed up, you know. It was on delay because there's a amount of time it takes for the the information to come back from Mars. So like what, by the time the Mars rover landed we were finding out eight minutes. Like it had already been on the surface for upwards of eight plus minutes. Don't hold me to that. I can't remember exactly how long it was. It may have been longer, maybe like 15 minutes before we knew that it landed successfully. So there was this excitement of, all right, we're going to find out really soon, but technically it's already happened. I feel like that moment's going to happen with this collection here. And I know that may seem preposterous because, you know, advancements of science, you know, landing something on Mars. But that's how special of an occasion these types of moments in comic history is, at least for me. I want to hear from the community, the comic fam. What do you think about pedigrees? Do you want us to come back on the mic to chat about pedigrees? I know, dude, you've been telling me we got to just dive deep into pedigrees. These stories get more wild. like just mentally like 
confusing how it even exists and how it happened and how these collectibles came to be. It adds an entire layer to our hobby, um, to this medium that is just so fascinating that I'm excited to dive deeper, maybe even buy some for myself. It's so hard for us to keep comics nowadays in good collection, in a good condition, without bags and boards. Can you imagine? This has no bags and boards for you know, the history up to like the seventies, they got maybe bags and boards really for the most part. And I don't even know if these things were bagged and board at the time. They might've just been sitting literally raw for this entire time. A lot of the times, like if they were protected back then, you'll find them in like grocery bags. Like they just put them in whatever bag they can find, like a, a Ziploc bag or something like that. I've, I've gotten some golden age finds, you know, that were you know, not as old as some of these, but like some pretty old ones, low grade condition, nothing like pedigree worthy, but yeah, they were stored in just whatever they could get. The mm -hmm. fact that they exist and we know some of the historical record. Wow. It just makes me so excited to be experiencing this now to be alive in 2021 comic fam. We appreciate you for being here with us, giving us the chance to chat some expensive paper. It's getting real expensive here, especially with these books, but they're hot. And we're excited to chat about them. Oh, another one in the books, guys. Hit that like, hit that subscribe. You guys want to win something, comment down below. Let us know your biggest regret in comics. You're going to win this Peach Momoko. This is my book, my cover. I'm going to get you another one, man. All right, he's going to give me another one. We're trying to buyer's yours. regret soon. So I want to hear your buyer's regret stories that I'm here to win this Peach Momoko 110 trade dress variant done by the very talented Peach Momoko. We appreciate your time, comic community, as always. Yeek. Responsibly. Enough said.